welcome to the Revealing the Diamond podcast, episode 42. This is your host, Tiago Prem. The new dub reggae intro to prepare the space for this conversation. On this podcast, we explore all sorts of topics for the purpose of elevating consciousness, giving you the strength, courage, and knowledge to stand as your best self during these times. On this week's show, we're going to sit down and talk to none other than Jana Romer, a wonderful Yoga Nidra teacher, astrologer, mother. When I was down in LA, I got to spend some time with her and her family, and the conversations we had were so elevating, so insightful. So I thought, hey, we need to share this with the Revealing the Diamond listeners, which is you. And that being said, I just wanted to give a big thank you, thank you, thank you, deepest heartfelt gratitude for everybody who pays attention to this podcast, who leaves reviews on iTunes, who reaches out on Instagram, who comes to all the lectures and the classes. Thank you so much. We really are doing this together, being the change we want to see during these times. So bless you and thank you. This week is all about the importance of relaxation and meditation. If you want to get in touch with Jana Romer or do some of her yoga nidras, make sure you check out janaromer.com. That's R-O-E-M-E-R. Jana is J-A-N-A. janaromer.com. And she also has some yoga nidra on the Insight app, which you can get in the iTunes store or wherever your apps are sold. Check it out. Once again, Tiago Prem on the controls, preparing the space for episode 42, Jana Romer on the importance of relaxation and meditation. Let's dive in. Satnam. So why don't we start by just letting everybody know who doesn't know who you are, who you are, and uh, what you do, and where you live, and whatever else you can think of that you think might be a good uh, foundation for this conversation. Sure. Well, my name's Jana Romer, and I am a Canadian living down in California. I think I think LA is actually the second largest population of Canadians, or maybe it's the largest population of Canadians outside of Canada, is a stat I heard recently. But huh. anyway, I, I grew up in a small, small town of like 150 people in Saskatchewan to a fairly liberal family, uh, parents. And, uh, you know, I always find it interesting to look back over the whole course of my life and how every little piece led me to right now. And I think everybody who has an opportunity to review that, but if I, if I really look back, you know, I always knew that I was a teacher. I started teaching other kids how to skate when I was 12 years old, <laughs> you know, and, hmm. uh, my first attempt at university, I actually, um, was in education and for whatever reason, I got this bug in my head that I can never make a living off of this. And so I switched over to business. And in the process of doing that, I actually did, uh, almost completed a whole degree in psychology and the same thing. There was this little bug that could put in my head, like you could never make a living off psychology. And so I did business. And then I worked in that world for a little while and, you know, life and, and how it goes. I had a really critical inner landscape of my mind. And through the course of my life, I had different rounds of depression starting when I was really young, like five or six years old. And in my teenage years, I think most teenagers have a period of depression, <laughs> if we're really honest, <laughs> but it was definitely there. And then in my early adulthood and and so when I, when I finally came to, um, yoga, it wasn't actually through the practice of asana. It was through the philosophy because I was so tortured and I started studying and reading books on Eastern religions and Buddhism. And, um, at the time books that may have been considered a little bit more fringe, um, that just really made a lot of sense to me. And I, and I, 
spent a lot of my life in pretty deep contemplation, having grown up on an acreage, you know, like no friends, <laughs> it's just like me <laughs> and, the, and, and nature is like pelicans and deer in my yard. And, you know, I spent a lot of time alone. Um, but then, so when I landed into the yoga philosophy, it, it was like, I came home, it, it just felt so familiar and it actually took me another three or four years to actually step on my mat and do a yoga pose. And mm. so for me, it's always been the philosophy. It's always been the lifestyle. It's always been about my mental health. And um, the asana was really great because it gave me something to do with my body and it felt good. And I and the endorphins that were released actually were so beneficial to my depressive state at that time. And uh, But they didn't fix the problem. <laughs> you know, it was mm. like I got reprieve, but it didn't fix the the programs as I call them now or the conditions that were in my mind and my subconscious mind that kept me looping back into the feeling of never being good enough or never being worthy or not uh, deserving of love or even friendship, mm -hmm. you know? And so right. I got into meditation and I've always been into the bit, little bit more woo-woo stuff as more of a um, entertainment than anything else for myself, you know? And Everybody was hyped up on 2012 and 2010. I decided I was going to meditate daily because if it was something serious in 2012, I wanted to make sure I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. You'd like we were going to meet the end at, at 2012. It, yeah. And I was really into the <laughs> Book of the Dead. You, you know, um, yeah. I studied with yeah. Ram Das and. Um, he introduced me to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and I just love those teachings, you know, that everything we do in our waking life is leading us for the moment of death so that we can die awake. And then if we die awake, then we can travel through, in the Tibetan world, they call it the bardo. So it's the phase between incarnations. And during that time, if you are awake and can recognize your life, then you can choose your next incarnation. And to me, that always was super fascinating. And so mm -hmm. I dove deep into that world. And then um, 2012 came and we know the earth is still alive and we're all still here. And, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that big of a deal, but something had changed so deeply inside of me because I had committed to this daily meditation practice. But mm -hmm. even with a daily meditation practice, it still wasn't fixing the problem. I was only becoming more, I guess, accepting of the critical nature of my mind. And uh, it didn't stop the torture, you know? that inner torture mm. that I was feeling. And then I was introduced to the practice of yoga nidra. And uh, some people call it nidra. Some people call it nidra. And I think both are correct, depending on what, where your teacher studied from or what part of India they brought it forward. So I mm. say nidra. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I also say nidra sometimes, depending on who's listening. Um, but when I, when I started doing yoga nidra, I slept through it for like five years. I just knew that it felt amazing afterwards. And, uh, it wasn't until I took a deeper dive into the practice with, uh, one of my teachers, her name's Tennis Fishman, um, who helped me to understand what a Sankalpa is. Um, because a Sankalpa is to me really like the arrow that goes in and helps you to understand what part of your psyche needs healing. And so we can talk more about what yoga nidra is, but um, in essence, it was yoga nidra that, um, and using a sankalpa, a consistent a sankalpa for years that, um, didn't just, uh, band-aid my internal torture issues. <laughs> it actually helped me to reprogram the nature of my mind. So these, these early childhood wounds or who knows where they come from these limiting belief systems, all, all the ways that I got in the way of myself. Yoga Nidra was the first practice that actually went in and almost like surgically removed these wounds and granted me freedom from it. And mm. so it's been I pretty I think profound. maybe you could say, do you think that, just to stop you there for a second, mm -hmm. do you think that all of that work that you were doing before was a preparation, you know, played a role in preparing you for uh you know, being able to experience that in yoga nidra. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, it's pretty challenging for, uh, as somebody who really believes in the uh, practice of yoga nidra and who also teaches yoga nidra, I found like, you know, people, I used to have this class where I would teach like a very advanced Dharma yoga 
class where the people would be doing all these fancy postures. And I would tell all the people, regular students who'd come for a year or two, you know, the, where are the healing benefits that you get from yoga are in Yoga Nidra. And we have Yoga Nidra after this class for one hour. It's free. You know, you should stay. It's the best thing you can do. And everyone would nod. And then at the end of the class, we'd go for the Yoga Nidra and like two of the 25 people would stay. <laughs> I know. I know because you don't, you're not doing anything. So it doesn't feel productive. Right. Or you know, you, you, it appears on the surface. Right. Right. It appears yeah. on the surface like you're not doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, uh, somewhere along the way, I think it was my third yoga class. I knew I was going to be a teacher of yoga. And then I and then I convinced myself that wasn't the case. But actually going through the yoga teacher training, I overcame a lot of things. Like that was a very significant shift point in my relationship with self. And then teaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then teaching to yoga teacher trainings. That also, because every time I went into that fire, I'll say, there's however many pairs of eyes staring back at me, questioning if I, or me <laughs> starting to question, like, am I really teaching what I'm doing, you know? And so it made me really look at how I was embodying the teachings myself. And so that definitely mm-hmm. made a huge difference. I think embodiment is really uh, hand in hand with the Nietzsche practice, for sure. Can you explain more of what you mean by the word embodiment? Sure. Well, you know, Patabi Joyce, he has that quote that came from him, 99% uh, practice, or 1% 39% practice. And mm-hmm. that's really it. Like, we can sit around and talk about these things, tower blue in the face, but until you actually go home and put it to work in your life, it's meaningless. And it, it right. really only starts once you're, you know, once you, I mean, if we look at a teaching as simple or as profound, I should say, as ahimsa or nonviolence, we can talk about it. But until you figure out how to even be nonviolent within your thought form, then, mm-hmm. you know, like there's so many layers that we can put the theory to work in. And it's all about how we apply it and how we live it. Right. Yeah. Do you think that I wanted to know a little bit more? We kind of you were saying when you were young, you got interested in Eastern philosophy and Eastern practices before you did any kind of physical practice. And I definitely mm-hmm. want to get uh, back to the Yoga Nidra, but just to go mm-hmm. back to being from a small remote place, like, mm-hmm. was it in, did this happen like later on in life when you're uh, like uh, in university or did you find out about this when you're a child or where, like, how did that come about? <laughs> I mean, I, I was born in Saskatchewan and I mean, I didn't live there as a kid growing up, but I definitely like. You know, whenever I go back there to teach or something like that, it. I went to the U of S for a year and studied uh, religious studies, but it's not like, it's not all that common that, you know, there's a lot of Eastern philosophy and Buddhist temples and things like that in Saskatchewan. So where are you <laughs> learning about this stuff? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the spirituality that I first adopted was my mother. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't my it wasn't the Eastern practices. My mom never went to church. She never took me to church. I never had a, um, that wasn't, there wasn't even a church in my town. You know, it wasn't something that we did, but my mom had a, a way of just living a spiritual life. You know, she taught me prayer at a really young age and Mm. it wasn't like we were praying to Jesus. It was, although it was that too, but it was more just, um, having a conversation with an invisible force that loved me more than anything in the world is kind of how she explained it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she didn't put too many definitions on it. She just said, whenever you need, you can pray. And I don't even think she used pray. I think it was more like you can ask for help and there are, there's a love force. And I don't think that's her exact language, but you know, there, there is a love (laughs) force that's here, that's here to support you. And then everything Amazing. also was in a conversation. Like when my, we had a huge garden, a beautiful organic garden my whole life growing up. And um, when we'd plant the seeds, my mom would talk to the seeds, you know, and she'd put them in the soil. And as she's covering them, she would say, bless you, seeds grow, bless you, seeds grow. And so there was this very intimate relationship with nature, with, um, you know, an invisible force, a benevolent force. 
And then I also, from as long as I can remember, have been obsessed with the stars and the moon. Like, obsessed. My mom would have to, <laughs> like, drag me in at night. I just want to sleep outside so I could stare at them all summer. Um, and then we also grew up under the northern lights. So the the experience itself was less organized than it was just a full immersion into an experience of being really connected to our elements and nature and the scar and the stars. And then Amazing. the boot. Yeah. And then the Buddhism and the Eastern philosophies that came in actually at U of S in a, in a kind of religious studies course, just probably the same one as you took. Cause it was the first, you know, 100 level, um, course that went all year long. And right. my professor was just, he was so passionate about it. And as soon as that was my introduction to inc reincarnation and, and to me, Buddhism just made sense. Like it's always felt very familiar to me. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not surprised after hearing who you chose as a, a parent. <laughs> it sounded like a very Buddhist uh, experience. I mean, you know, the word Buddhism is only like 500 years old. Before that, people didn't call it anything. It was just the practice of listening to the seed and talking to the stars and you know, mm -hmm. learning to listen to who you are in relationship to all of this. So it's pretty mm -hmm. remarkable that you were raised in a family where there was no belief system placed on it, but the practice was done authentically just as you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, I feel really blessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it shows, you know, you're really living that uh, now. Totally. You're a really authentic, genuine person. And so. Good job, mm, mom. You. Yeah, right. I picked a good one. <laughs> and she picked a so, good one too, you know. Yeah, right. Well, you work you work together. That's the way it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, that I think that answers that question and and then I wanted to know like you said that you knew that you were going to teach um in your third time practicing yoga in a group and and that yoga nidra uh started to deal with some of the self-worth issues or some of the uh, issues that you had, whether they're mental issues or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly the terminology you used to describe it, but when you went to Yoga Nidra and you had that healing experience, did you have a, a similar experience where you were like, wow, I really need to share this right off the bat? Or was it something that sort of came to life as you got into the practice? Yeah, for the clarity that I had on teaching asana, I definitely didn't have the same experience with nidra. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, my my first nidra experience, I didn't even know that that's what I was going to. Um, it was a woman, actually, I think, yeah, Jessica Ferguson in Edmonton. And she had lived at the Bihar school. And so she learned like straight from the source there. And mm. it was a, a an amazing, like super sweaty, creatively sequenced flow class. And then Shavasana was about 20 minutes long. And I remember nice. she told me to imagine a blue light at my third eye. And then we took it to my thumb, my index finger, my middle finger, my ring finger. And then I pretty much disappear. And that's all <laughs> I would remember. You know, <laughs> I don't know where I went and I don't know what I did. But I knew that when they told me to wake up, I woke up along with the rest of the group. And this class was packed like wall to wall. It was totally packed. And this mm -hmm. is, you know, probably close to 10 years ago, maybe even more, uh, maybe 11 or 12 years ago now. And um, I felt like a million bucks. Like every time I would wake up from that, I just felt so amazing. But I didn't stay awake. And then my uh, mentor started introducing it to some of the yoga teacher trainings that I was um, uh, doing with her. And she, I'd fall asleep in those too. I had no idea no idea what was going on. People would debrief the practice and talk about, you know, going to the top of the mountain and meeting the Zen master and doing all these fantastic things and getting these big insights. And I'd be like, really, you, you, you <laughs> felt all the way to your right foot too. I didn't <laughs> you know? like, I just, right. I get through the body scan. So, but it still felt great. And then it was only once I became a mother um, and I, it was when I started to actually understand the practice, because I, the other part is that I knew that I felt really rested and restored. And so when my, when I was a brand new mom and my kid would go down for a nap, I would put a nidra on for myself. As soon as he was down, I put a nidra on my, for myself, like 20, 25 minute nidra practice. 
Mm. And I swear that was my saving grace. And within that, that's when I started to find that, that the ability to coast in to the nature practice where I was definitely, my body was sleeping, but my mind was starting to be able to stay awake or coast into those different brainwave states. Mm. And I worked out some serious stuff, <laughs> just doing it every day when my kid would nap. And, uh, amazing. Yeah. And that's what made me go deeper into it actually is once I started to, to be able to coast into those different altered, it's an altered state that you go mm. into. Yeah. Totally. Mother's yeah. little helper. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, good, a bit more sustainable mother's little helper. Yeah. Then the other <laughs> marketing ploy for mothers, the two o'clock glass of wine. I think this is a yeah. much better. <laughs> I think you're right. Can okay. you talk a little bit about like what Yoga Nidra is for people who are listening to this? Like the the 23 people from the class I was teaching who didn't come, at, even though I was uh, shouting it from the mountaintop till I was blue in the face how important it is. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about like what Yoga Nidra is, how it works? You know, whatever you think it would be of value to somebody who's maybe new to the practice, because I think the healing benefits are so great. And this could yeah. be a seed for somebody to experience some of the healing that you experience. Totally. Um, first of all, it's a very difficult practice to explain. <laughs> I think that's part of, <laughs> that's part of why it, it doesn't move out into the population as quickly, but it is now. Um, in its most basic form it's a relaxation process practice mm -hmm. um when we look at the eight limbs of yoga if people are familiar with that there's yama niyama asana pranayama breath work and then pratyahara and pratyahara is the withdrawing of the senses and it's it's a pratyahara practice so when we when we unplug ourselves from the external world and plug into our internal world there's a whole universe inside of there and you've probably heard that before from different philosophies because something along the lines of those teachings are in every philosophy, every spiritual practice, every religion that I've ever come across. And the problem is that we're not being shown how do you go and listen to your inner world, you know? Hmm. And Yoga Nidra does that. And, um, or maybe it's not that we're not being shown how, but it's hard to ha to give somebody the experience of that, you know, because it is, you let go of the teacher in a lot of ways and you have to go in and do the work yourself. Mm -hmm. Where Yoga Nidra, at least in the Bihar um, lineage, which is what I have deep dove into, um, we start to go through the layers of the body and systematically so. There's definitely a template that you follow as somebody who's guiding the practice. And so... Um, it's really interesting when you look at the layers of the body in Sanskrit, they're called the koshas and each kosha has, uh, an, a three part name. So it's anamaya kosha, pranamaya kosha, manamaya kosha, and onward there's five. And the first section of the word like anamaya kosha is telling you which layer of the body that this is referring to. So the Anamaya Kosha is the food body. It's your physical body. So everything that has matter. So your mm -hmm. flesh, your bones, your blood, everything. And that's why the first, um, after you do the Sankalpa or say the Sankalpa, you go into the food body. And as you're going through the food body, it's systematic there's a pattern. There are actually multiple patterns, but in Bihar, there's a specific pattern that starts on the right hand thumb and it ends on feeling the whole entire body, but you go through systematically feeling particular points within the body. Um, and then I've studied this further from a very scientific perspective. And what it's actually doing is tapping into different pieces of gray matter in your brain that starts to create what's called brain cohesion. And so the nervous system basically comes into alignment with itself where when we're walking about our day and you're walking down the street and you have one thought that says, shit, I got to call my, oh, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you can swear. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> that was funny. You really caught yourself fast. You're fine. <laughs> uh, anyway, so you have one part of your mind that says, oh, I got to call my grandma. Another part of your mind that says, I shouldn't have said that thing earlier. I hope I didn't hurt their feelings. And another part of your mind that says, 
um, I'm really hungry. And another part of your mind that says, I got to look at the map. And another part of your mind that's saying, I have so many emails I haven't answered. And, you know, all these different ways. There are all these different directions that the mind is going. What it starts to do is create an incoherent brainwave state in the brain. And when that happens, we actually remove ourselves from the pattern that allows us to heal. And in an effort of the nervous system to bring this back into balance, first what it does is it releases stress hormones into your body. So cortisol, adrenaline, and there's a few others um, that get released. And when that happens, it takes the energy or the blood and everything from the, your organs and it puts it out into your limbs and gives you a level of alertness that is to be meant technically, or I think perhaps in the original design, to give you a boost of um, productivity. And then uh, once the threat is gone, or in our case, you know, the 10,000 things that are pulling our mind in different directions have settled, then the cortisol and adrenaline stop being released and you go back into uh, a more cohesive state. And then the hormones start to change. You get, you know, oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin and all the ones that take us into a state of healing. And so basically what we're doing in that first run is we're, tr we're entraining the nervous system into a state of coherence where all the different parts of yourself are coming online together. And so that's why we go through the different parts of the body. And as you go through the different parts of the body and you feel parts of yourself in wholeness, and then you feel yourself whole, you feel your whole entire body together as one, it creates a coherent state in your brain. It's actually quite phenomenal when you look at brainwave scans at the difference between what's happening. Mm. And then once we do that and have the brain uh, in a coherent state, the nervous system changes its directive. So instead of the nervous system yelling out to the body, do this, do this, do this, do this, this will help you heal, this will help you get better, do this, so that can be done, you bring it all back together and the nervous system says, ah, okay, now we can be. And once you move from a state of doing into a state of being, then the conversation between the mind and the body and your spiritual self shifts. Mm. And the next layer of the body is the pranamaya kosha. And the pranamaya kosha, we can look at as the breath, but we can also look at it as the meridians or the chakras or any energetic anatomy of the body. We can also mm. look at it as the aura, the auric field. Um, and for some people, this is harder to, um, relate with. And so a lot of times I stick it with the breath. I keep it with the breath because everybody can relate to their breath and find their breath. And then I'll tease the way I guide. I like tease them into feeling like, okay, you can feel your breath, but can you feel just outside of your skin? And then people will start to become more aware of their field, which is much bigger than their physical body. And then they get this experience over time, perhaps it will take five years like me to stay awake. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe it'll happen the first time. But you get to have an experience of yourself, of the space within yourself and outside of yourself, the space that you occupy. And when we look at the quantum teachings, again, to bump it back into science, um, when we look at the quantum teachings, what they've seen now is that an atom is 99.9999999% space. Yet we as humans and this need for proof focus on the point zero 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 one percent that is matter, probably even less than that, really. And mm. so once we shift from the matter into the space, and that's essentially what starts to happen in the pranamaya kosha, the matter starts to become less uh, prevalent in your experience, and you get this bigger experience in space. And when we're in space, then we enter the quantum field. And when you enter the quantum field, because now you've overcome your body, you've overcome your environment because your, your senses are now inward. And now we're starting to shift time because you're in either an alpha or a theta brainwave state where there is no such thing as linear time. Mm -hmm. And when we, when we jump out of those three things, then anything is possible. You open yourself to the vast field of infinite possibilities. And so the next directive of the practice is to shift. Once you've tapped into that, then you shift. You go into the mental-emotional body. This is the monomaya kosha. And in the mental-emotional body, um, what we play with is pairs of opposites. And I've actually started to study a bit of somatic healing. And so in somatic healing, if somebody has trauma in a place of their body, 
They'll get you to feel the trauma in that place of your body. And then they'll get you to feel the opposite emotion of that trauma in that place of your body until you create a new imprint in the body. Well, with mm. this, what we're doing is we're going into the brain and we're looking at um, the way that um, neurons fire together, they wire together. And so ideally we stay in a precognitive state. So before you go into story, there's an opportunity here because you're in a complete state of relaxation just to use your imagination, use your imagination to ima to conjure forth what it feels like when you're in a state of resentment, for example. And so they allow, the practitioner allows themselves, they conjure forth the feeling of resentment. Maybe it feels like something in the body. Maybe there's an emotional um, attachment or, or uh, association, or maybe there's thoughts that come in that associate with resentment, um, but we get to feel it. And by feeling it, we start to create the neuropathways for resentment in the brain, which might sound like the opposite of what you want. But what we do, and the nature of the mind is so brilliantly designed, is that we actually sequester off resentment. We we like tuck it away and we store it. And we're like, oh, I don't want to acknowledge that I'm feeling resentment. So I'm just going to put it over here and let it live. But I'm going to keep living focused and on task with whatever I'm doing, like drowning myself in work or I don't know, whatever that was maybe a little bit harsh, but you know, the things that we do. <laughs> and so what we first do is we create a pathway for the resentment to leave. And then we match it with the opposite. Let's just say forgiveness. And we start to create stronger neuropathways of forgiveness. So you conjure forth the feeling of forgiveness. Imagine what it would feel like to, to feel forgiveness right now in your body, what it would be to be forgiven or to forgive. And then what happens by going in through pairs of opposites like this is we create this bridge in the brain. And it's so cool. They have, um, you can like Google on YouTube, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together, and you'll see these brain scans where the, where the neural pathways are being built and where they're being pruned away. And so next time you find yourself in a state of resentment in your waking life, there's a bridge in your neural pathways that allows you to feel forgiveness right with it. And so before resentment has a chance to set root in your system, you're already forgiving through compassion. They don't mean to hurt me. They didn't know that they caused me harm. I can forgive that because there's an innocence to the way that I feel and the way that they're acting. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Beautiful. Yeah, uh, it, it's challenging when I'm doing these recordings, when somebody's saying something that I'm like totally on board with what they're saying. I feel just like saying, yeah, the, the whole time. So I just <laughs> quietly like nod as best I can in the background. Such mm. a uh, I, I love the explanation uh, of that, especially the resentment and the forgiveness. Um, mm. And it's a profound thing. Like I tell people about Yoga Nidra where it's like, if you want to know what yoga actually does, you know, like what is the purpose of all of this practice? Like yoga nidra is the practice that really like opens your eyes to that. Yes. And then when you've experienced that in yoga nidra, like that can even be applied to the postures. Yes. I'm often telling people like when when they watch, you know, Dharma, one of our teachers practice yoga, he he says this thing where he's like, imagine that the mind is asleep and the body's moving by itself. And when you're a new student to yoga, it sounds insane because it feels like <laughs> t torture or you're watching everybody in the class and judging who's doing good and who's doing whatever it might be, or you're pushing or sweating or doing all of this stuff. And it's actually true. And the only way you, you can experience that, I found, is to make yourself so still and, pra and then practice like being present in that stillness and yoga nidra. Yeah over time teaches you how to do that and then when yes. once you've like dipped your toe into the quantum field as you as you say then you can access that place doing things here in the surface realm um yeah. but it's a hard thing to just say you know oh well why don't you just experience your subtle self <laughs> yeah you know yeah. but there are practice the beauty of yoga nidra is that it's an actual practice that can teach you how to do that yeah, exactly. You yeah, know, when and, you use and, the word uh, just, when you use the word sankalpa, can you just clarify what that means? Because some people probably are thinking she keeps saying this word that I don't know, and, and I think it's important to describe what that is. Well, if I could actually just continue through the koshas, and then we'll come to the sankalpa, and it will okay, make so okay. much sense there. Does that make? Okay. Can I do that? Yep. 
Yes. Yeah. It's so like, like a next... cliffhanger. They have to stay tuned to the you end of the stay. coaches. <laughs> yes. And you want to right. know because it's the key to the whole practice. I so once it. you go through a couple pairs of opposites and you can do it with emotional things, but you can also do it with things like heavy and light or dark and light, like things that don't have a lot of fear based around them. If people are fearful of going into resentment, for example. Um, but yeah, uh, once you go through a few or two or three pairs of opposites, then you feel yourself in a state of wholeness. And when you feel yourself whole again, it reintroduces that cohesive state again. And these first three bodies from the way that I experienced the practice, these are all karma clearing. We're like purging and clearing out the system where, you know, if our issues are in our tissues and if we can feel it, we can heal it. Then the body scan is going out and clearing out what we've been storing in all the information we've been storing in our body. And then the pranic field, if there's any glitches or things stuck in the energy body, then we're clearing it by going through the waves of the energy body. And then the pairs of opposites, we're unstucking ourselves, <laughs> you know? Hmm. And then the transition point here, you come back into a state of wholeness, you activate that cohesion again, which reinforces the body's ability to heal, the body, mind, and spirit's ability to heal. And then we start going into um, another part of the practice, which is the Vajanamaya Kosha, which is the creative, intuitive, wise body. And in here, we start to work with our vision, our visionary self. So you could continue to use this for healing, but you can also use this for manifesting, or you can use this for envisioning the future, or you can use it as a, as a way to, um, go and find information from your subconscious and bring it into the light again. Um, the, the creativity of the practice really lands in this part of it, um, but you go through visualizations and there's two ways to do it. You could do rapid visualizations. And so you're just exercising your ability to, um, see, you know, the visual self. So, and when I say random visualizations, it's really random, like blue Ford Mustang. You can do something really <laughs> silly, like your grandmother doing a handstand on the beach. You know, you want to like, make sure you're not going too logical. There's not a lot of reason in this area and it's really random. Um, and there's strategy within that as well. Or you could do a longer visualization where you go in and you find information or you put people in front of you that you need to have conversations with and you have those conversations or you see yourself 10 years into the future and what does the life look like then? And that's, it's, it's really fun to play in there. And then the fifth body is the, um, Ananda Mayakosha. And in the Ananda Mayakosha, now I'm going to back up a second because the first word was always saying what layer of the body that you're working on. And then Maya, which is the middle word, is illusion. And mm -hmm. Kosha is signifying the layer. And so what we're doing within this practice is we're returning to a state of oneness. We're remembering our, our essential self. And mm -hmm. each layer is just a layer of illusion that we need to overcome in order to ex have an experience of full and complete presence within that loving force of oneness. And so as we go through the layers of the body, we're overcoming the illusions that are limiting our ability to know God, <laughs> I guess, or to know oneness. Mm -hmm. And when we get to the Ananda Mayakosha, I mean, after you've gone through the layers of illusion and you get there, there's such a pure, sweet experience with self. And within that is the place where you could even ask yourself, what is my Sankalpa? And um, a Sankalpa is something that you can use to heal the deepest, most forgotten or wounded parts of yourself. Or it can be used to plant... Um, wildflowers in your garden. You know, you, if you, for example, if I was working with a limiting belief, which was a big one for me for a long time of my worthiness. And mm -hmm. for me, um, to say I am worthy as a Sankalpa, it didn't actually work because I had such a negative association with the word worthy <laughs> that I right. felt like it wasn't really doing anything for me. So I actually switched it and used the word I am valid. And hmm. so the mind at this point in the Nandamaya Kosha is so blissed. It's so receptive. And it's, again, from a scientific perspective, it's in a hypnagogic state. And a hypnagogic state is returning to your, like when you're a little kid and everything you see, you're so impressionable and you take that in and that's what becomes your belief systems and your worldview. You return to that same sweet, innocent, impressionable mind. 
And so when you say your sankalpa there, it goes in and it, the seed gets planted so deep within your psyche that it almost becomes impossible not to believe that you are valid. Does that make mm. sense? Amazing. Yeah. I love it. And so, yeah. And so I'll often get sankalpa at the beginning of the practice. So people remember what they're going to say. So they don't have to start thinking and lose that mm. blissful body and then put mm. it in again there at the end. Um, but mm. it's really nice when you go in and you get to the bliss body and then you just ask, what does my heart desire? What does my heart desire right now? And when you ask that question from a state of complete relaxation and total receptivity, some of the things that will come up are just so beautiful. You know, my, my heart desires to be free. And so the Sankalpa becomes a statement like, I am free. And it's really important that the statement of Sankalpa is present moment and in positive language. And so mm. I am free is different than I want to be free because we're putting that seed in and we want it to be true right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think a really cool thing too is when you talked about I am valid and moving from like worth where you weren't really sure how to define what worth is. And so it becomes a different thing. And so in some ways the practice is uncovering your sankalpa as it is you defining your sankalpa is both, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. I worked so with cool. a teacher for a little while that um, would do measurements and assign people sankalpa based off a, a, like an energy reading. And mm -hmm. I've since moved away from that because if you look in the tradition, one of the things that they say very strongly is nobody can assign your sankalpa for you. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. this is such a personal, intimate statement that's yours. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then what I've done with myself is I've gone in and asked the question when I'm in that state and then come out with the information. So I guess, uh, we could use another example of like not being worthy of love or seeing myself as, you know, anything. And then outside of Nidra, then you can work with the language and, and figure out the words that are going to help the seed build its strength as you go back in. And then another important thing to remember about Sankalpa is it's recommended to stick with the same one for some time because it takes a while to rebuild um, or to, to remember your perfection. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Or it to sort of it. comes to life. Uh, you create a relationship with it, especially some of these things, you know, that has been a repetitive sound current that has created a, definition inside your mind that is really deep wounds mm -hmm. it's not like oh we'll just switch this off yeah exactly you know you, re you really have to work with it i was reminded when you were talking about uh that we started this conversation off with you know religion that was supposed to be the purpose of religion and then there was no means of like passing down the experience of that, the clearing that can take place through Yoga Nidra. And the word religion means return to origin, which when you okay. said that part of your talk where you were saying it puts you back into that state when you're a child, a hypnagog, hip, what was it? Hypnagogic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, great <laughs> word. So that hypnagogic state where you're like a child taking in the world, that is a return to origin. And, yeah. and, you know, all these great masters have said, you know, to be more childlike is the whole aim of the practice. And this is so cool because it's actually you're explaining how that happens on a psychological level beyond like a philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is so I amazing, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's pioneers like uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza. He's definitely somebody who is a complete mystic who has also a very analytical mind and needs to understand. And then he had the resources and the the way to measure everything through, right. you know, brain scans and all this stuff. And, and he's definitely one of my heroes as far as helping <laughs> us to understand this from like the way the logical analytical mind needs to know so that you can let go and go into the experience even more. Right. And he's a neuroscientist, correct? No, he's a chiropractor who just started tripping out on, on the oh, mystic no and then decided to, yeah, he was a chiropractor that was told he could never heal his spine. 
Okay. Um, and he was like, I don't believe it. And so he just went in and yeah, he studies the brain he works with. Um, yeah, he's, he's next level. Cool. I've, my mom's, my mom is going to be stoked that you're waving the Joe, Dr. Joe dispensa flag. Cause she's big. She's right into it. I did a meditation with him recently that my mom had, and I pulled the uh, Jana just getting into Yoga Nidra experience where I was there for about 10 minutes, and then the rest of the time I was taking a nap. But I felt great after. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, it, just spending time doing a bit of meditation and then taking a nap with my mom was enough healing, I guess, on its own. But I... I really was moved by what he was doing and I bought one of his books. I guess this is, can be a reminder to crack it open and do some reading. Which one did you buy? You know what? I'm embarrassed to say that I can't remember which one, <laughs> but I'll I'll pull it out. I'll pull it out and then maybe what I'll even do is put it in the show notes if people are interested in uh discovering more about him. It literally is a brand he is a brand new teacher to me, somebody that my mom kind of was like you should really look into this. And I was like, yeah, I will when I have time. So I guess now yes. I'm going to make, make time, especially if it's in alignment with what we're talking about here, because I'm loving this. Yeah. Well, he has two really big ones. One is called the, you are the placebo effect for the science nerds in the group. You'll love, you are the placebo effect. The, for the people that like the science, but also like the mystic, there's a book called breaking the habit of being yourself. And I, I that's recommend I have. every human being read this book. It will change. Okay your life. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Breaking the habit the of being yourself. Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, he has a new one too, but amazing. Well, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll get into it and start sharing some of those teachings with, uh, with the students at Dharma temple. Hey, I wanted to maybe put the connect some dots here because the yoga nidra, um, talk has been incredible. And then I wanted to know, so you start doing this yoga nidra practice, you start sharing it, you know, I've done your Yoga Nidra on the Insight app, which I mm -hmm. loved, by the way. Um, mm, thank SJ, you. SJ gave it to me to listen to, and I'm, I'm super into it. I love Yoga Nidra, and if I can get my hands on good recordings, it's great because it's a difficult one to just do on your own. Yeah. Um, I One funny thing that I've learned from Yoga Nidra is when I get tattooed, I like redirect the pain sensation to another part of the body. And then mm. people who are tattooing me are always like, how can you sit so still? And you're explaining <laughs> to them like, well, while you're tattooing my arm, I'm focusing on relaxing my toes. <laughs> and they're like, uh, okay, weirdo. <laughs> but it actually works. And that came from Yoga Nidra. It's like, how can I redirect? All right, this is the reality of what's happening. Well, I'm going to move my attention somewhere else. And that's a pretty mm. simple crack. You could do it at the dentist, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, but but anyhow, that's a aside. What I wanted to know is from the Yoga Nidra practice, um, we talked quite a bit about astrology. SJ is really into what you're doing with astrology. So where does astrology come into play after your Yoga Nidra practice? I mean, I can start to see some lines just talking to you from being obsessed with the stars and the moon to really going deep into the experience of the subtle self, it kind of seems like, well, the next part of that is to um, experience what's going on beyond the surface on a bigger scale than just your own personal experience. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't, I'm an accidental astrologer. I didn't ever meet <laughs> you, but it just makes so much sense to me. Like most people look at the charts and it's like hieroglyphics and I look at it and the whole story comes out. It's weird. Um, right. It's like happening. one of those so pictures I'm... from the, from the eighties or whatever, you like blur your eyes and then like yes. uh, the sailboat appears or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense to me. It just makes sense to me. And if I look at Nidra, what we're doing is we're going from the conscious mind to the subconscious mind. And we start to pull things out of the subconscious mind and reprogram the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. When we look at astrology, if we look at what's happening in the stars today, this is actually a map to the collective unconscious. And so to, it's really interesting because whenever I teach yoga classes here in um, Venice at Love Yoga Space, I always bring in the astrology of the day and everybody is literally sitting there going, yes, that's what I'm going through. Yes, that's what I'm going through. And so time and time again, I'm just being shown that we are all being influenced in the same way that the moon is pulling the ocean with the tides. 
um, all, all the planets are having an influence on our mind and our body and our emotions. And so what I've started to do is I put out a yoga nidra that's specific for the sun season. So right now the sun is in Pisces. I'm actually a day behind. It's going to get published tomorrow. <laughs> I'm a couple of days behind. <laughs> um, but the Pisces season yoga nidra. And what we do is we're going to address inside of that nidra practice. I address some of the themes of this, um, astrological season. And then once Pisces season is done, I'll put out one for Aries season and you can get those through um, my website. And they're so fun. They're so fun to do. Um, I have so much fun doing it because the more we are waking up to our unconscious, the more we're bringing light to that, which sits in the dark, the more we're awakening. And Hmm. sometimes the, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in these mental loops or these emotional waves that aren't fully understood or like things from our past are coming up and it's like, why is this happening right now? You know? And and when we really start to listen and have these more vulnerable conversations, you can see that lots of people are going through the same thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I've combined the two. And then what's cool about it is, um, they, they're so thematic. So while the potency of the practice is during the season, because they're designed for that season, they still have, uh, healing messages inside of them at any time of the year. So they, I do, I keep them on my website. Um, and then, uh, um, if somebody were, let's say to buy them each month, it's, I have them set up so they make an album. So you'll have a full album by the end of the year of different Nidras to work on different things within yourself. It's, it's pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. So this is all accessible through your website. Yep, just janaromer.com. Yep. Awesome. janaromer.com. Yeah. That's yeah, that's cool. You can start to put the two together and I I think people are really interested in I mean, I'm not I'm it's funny that you're an accidental astrologer because I'm so accidental to anything like that, you know, Sarah Gates <laughs> and like, here, do pull these tarot cards and here, this is what's happening. And I, I'm just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Let's go along with it. And, and just like you're saying, um, I find a lot of truth in it, but mostly it's just like another lens to look at myself and then my relationship to the whole and whatever lens works, use that, you know, and it, and it becomes very evident what ones land for you and, and what ones don't. And, I yeah. also think that there's something to be said about, you know, when you say you're an accidental astrologist, doing practices like Yoga Nidra that really make you open to who you are and what's really going on, it seems yeah. kind of like that's going to open you up to practices. It's a, they go in order, right? It's like this opened me up to this, this opened me up to this, this opened me up to this. And you're just yeah. becoming more and more in tune, which is what a yogi is. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, maybe you can reflect on this as well, but don't you find that at the end of the Nidra practice that, that I, I call it, and I adopted this from my teacher Tannis, but I call it the home frequency. And so when you strip away all these layers of illusion and delusion, and you're just left with you and you and this feeling of wholeness, that's your home frequency. And the mm. more time you spend in that home, home frequency, I think, you know, part of revealing the diamond is just that you're peeling away all the things that aren't you in order to see yourself or to experience yourself as the most pure and authentic form. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what we're doing in the practice of Nidra is we're just stripping away all the pieces that aren't us. And then what you're left with in the, in the Ananda Kosha is you. And Mm -hmm. so, um, the more time you spend there, like just tapping into that once a day, you just continually are being shown who you are and, you know, I'm running, um, I have four yoga nature trainings this year. We just finished one here in Venice and I'm going to be in Norway and then two up in Canada, one in Squamish near you actually in the fall. Sweet. Yeah. Um, and I almost called it the journey home because that's what we're doing. We're, we're walking, we're walking ourselves home. We're walking each other home, um, mm-hmm. into that, into that really pure experience of self. It's really Beautiful. nice. Oh, mm-hmm. I love it. Well, mm-hmm. if, if people want to find out about these Yoga Nidra trainings, the same thing, go to janaromer.com and they can find yep. out how to sign up. Yeah. And they're really cool. T- <laughs> I ran, uh, <laughs> I ran a 300 hour yoga teacher training, uh, last year in Croatia. And there was a woman who just, I didn't know her 
um, before we found each other through social media or she found me through social media and ended up when she saw the course, she was like, I have to go. And she came and, um, a big part of the 300 hour training was the yoga nidra. And she just had such an incredible experience with both me and Sasha Bahador, who is, um, uh, an incredible teacher as well. We run it together. And at, when it was all done, she was like, can you come run nidra training in Norway, please? I need my community to know this. And so it's partially that. And also I love to travel. So somebody gives me an invitation to somewhere I'd like to travel to. And the excuse is to go teach. I'm down. I'm always down. <laughs> so, so cool. Yeah. My roots are Scandinavian, believe it or not. So my family is mostly Swedish. Oh, so wow. That's so cool. close to home. Yeah. And in astrology, uh, everybody has a natal chart and the natal mm -hmm. chart is the imprint of of uh, the electromagnetic field of the earth the moment that you were born, the first time you experienced gravity. And within your natal chart, it's pretty cool because it shows you so many hints about your own personality and the way that you operate. But there's also another type of astrology. It's called your astrocartography. And you can see where on the earth uh, different uh, planets are going to be affecting you. And I, I'll have to say I'm a little bit scared to go to Norway because um, right where we're going, I have both my Pluto line and my Jupiter line. So Pluto is like death, transformation, rebirth, and you learn who you are and what your power is. And then Jupiter is the highest teacher. It's the guru teacher. And it always comes in mm -hmm. to expand and give you the highest teachings. And right where I'm going to go teach that training, Jupiter and Pluto cross. <laughs> so I'm a little bit afraid of um, what's going to happen in a good way. Like it's a very healthy fear. Um, <laughs> right. But I think it's going to be pretty special. So, yeah. So there might be even a different answer to that question. Why Norway? We'll, we'll ask why Norway yes. again when you, when you come yeah. back from Norway. Yeah. And we'll do That's an astrology amazing. one. <laughs> we'll do one yeah, on astrology right. more focused and I'll tell you. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. We'll do a we'll do a part two and focus on why Norway and more astrology <laughs> talk. Amazing. That Amazing. sounds good. So, is there um, any other platforms that you'd like people to know about where they can uh, follow you, like on Instagram or anything else, as far as uh, your work that people want to connect to you? Because I love that Yoga Nidra. I don't know is that still something that people can get on Insight or yeah, Insight Timer, or I think it is just called Insight Now. You can find me there. You just go, you just search my name on Insight. It's a free meditation okay. app. It's so it's so great. We can put a link to. Mm -hmm. I can give you a link to my specific uh, profile on there, or Instagram. Great. It's my name, Jana underscore Romer dot com. Or I'm also on YouTube, and I, there's Nidras and meditations on YouTube. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, awesome. I think that's it. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not really on Facebook. Facebook's yeah, I'm, I can relate done. to that. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing. Yeah. Well, hey, um, thank you so so much. It's always so great to talk to you, Jana. And I, I always feel like I see things with that I, you know, I'm doing in my own life with a fresh set of eyes, and that's a good person to have a conversation with mm, when you come away you. Uh, feeling that way. Likewise, so I'm really hey, grateful. I, I'm super yeah. grateful too. Can I leave you guys with a poem? <laughs> Can I leave yeah, you with please. A poem? This is a yeah. poem by a woman named Tara Sophia Moore, and I just feel like it's like I don't know if she ever did Nidra, but I feel like she's talking about Nidra in some ways with this poem. It's called "The One Deep Inside Your Chest." Step back and watch your body being a body. Watch an arm move through space. Watch an ankle turn. Watch your body as it likes things or it doesn't, as it gets scrapes and bruises, as the skin darkens and falls into folds. Step back to the perimeter of the theater and watch your body on the stage. Recede into that quiet knowing. For now, I am associated with this body, not inside it or one with it, just associated for a time. Casing, only casing. Be kind to the casing if you like. Put oils on it and nourish it and move it to keep it stronger for a time. Never become it. There, only suffering. Can you feel the one deep inside your chest who has existed forever? Who has made a thousand journeys? Who feels like a comet in the dark? 
that inner filament. I know, no one ever told you. I know, it wasn't the name you learned to write at school, but that one is you. That one is the real you. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What a <laughs> note to end on. Oh, wow. There, mm. You could just play Jana reading that poem at the end of this podcast for your meditation. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Well, yeah, I'll let you Kiri. carry on with uh, your day. And I'm so thankful that we got to take the time to have this talk. And we'll look forward to the second round and also want to make sure that you're going to come and offer at dharma temple when you're out this way that would be amazing definitely definitely i gotta get up there thank you yeah. <laughs> thank you so awesome. much for everything you're such a yeah. great um i just want to say you know you are um the way that you lead and the way that you live is just so admirable and i love the way that you kind of went in and learned the rules and break the rules, but ultimately what you're following is your heart. And it's so, um, it's so refreshing. So thanks for being you. Thank you, Jana. Appreciate it. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in. If you want to find out more about our offerings, check out thedharmatemple.com or follow me on Instagram at Tiagaprem, T-I-A-G-A-P-R-E-M, the Lion of Love. And for bookings, information, or to be a guest on the show, don't hesitate to write Tiagaprem at thedharmatemple.com. I'm happy to answer any questions or even happier to come and meet with you in person. Blessed love, Satnam. <laughs>